Hey everybody, this is Brett. And I'm Christian. And you're listening to the Gilded Films Podcast. A year in review, 1943. and welcome back to Gilda Films Podcast. This is the year in review, 1943. If you're still listening, uh, we just covered the uh, Best Picture nominees of 1943, with Casablanca being the big winner of that year, and we all agreed that that was, like, the winner, because everything else is uh, fine, good, mediocre, terrible, or a boat. Ha-ha. Anyway, uh, here, as always, is myself, Christian, Brett, hello. 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 And Zay is back with us. Hello. Hello, everyone. All right, let's get this over with. I wanted to get done with this dumbass year. <laughs> you know what? It really is a weird year that, I mean, it's pretty much Casablanca, one that we'll be talking about here in a second, and maybe a few others sprinkled in, and that's and like... And then one where I was like, oh, yeah, it's a good movie. And then I'm like, oh, no, actually, it's for the 1944 Oscars. So I'm like, oh, my yes. But I included it, and I put a little note there so we can mention it at least. Yeah. So, but no, what, a, what an interesting year. Casablanca pretty much overshadowed everything, which is fine. I will say that the six movies we're going to talk about now, on average, are definitely better than the Best Picture nominees, on sure. average. So Especially, that's still good. Except for whatever Christian gave us on a <laughs> rusty silver platter. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but no, we, we do have some good ones to cover, maybe a great one or two to cover. And so, um, yeah, this will wrap up 1943, which, like they said, is a very interesting year for movies. But... So yeah, like always, we each picked. I would like years. to. No, no, no. I, I don't mean to interrupt. I Go didn't say it. interesting. I said a shitty. Year. Oh, shitty! It's a, it's a bad go. year for movies. <laughs> like, yeah, listen, no. I've done all these for with you guys. This is the one that's been the hardest. Where I'm just like, oh, that's a movie. I guess I'm not excited about. I like maybe five movies I'm excited about from this year. The rest, I'm just like, I watched them. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely, I would say, probably the worst year we've covered. I'm trying well, to think. My, my biggest thing is, like, maybe because of that and the fact that a lot of the big Hollywood movie stars and directors were off over in Europe or in the Pacific, that maybe we're not getting things until the next year because mm-hmm. we've already covered the next year. And the next year is pretty good. I mean, we have, like, Double Indemnity, uh, Meet Me in Sent you in a way. Yeah, since you went away is really good, you know? And it goes from there, because then the war eventually ends in 45. But at this point, I mean, you didn't see anything from Jimmy Stewart, from Clark Gable. Yeah. Lighten in the war. Yeah, you missed up the actors, and especially, I think, missed now some of the directors, too. So... If only there were women left behind to do some of that directing. You would think. (laughs) You would think like Catherine Hepburn would step up and be like, yes, I'll go ahead and make a film. And like, I understand a lot of their resources were going into the war still, but 
they were still making pictures and they were still making them pretty shitty. So might as well give him a woman to do something. I don't know. Yeah, and still made pl- plenty of movies too. So, all right. But yes, we do have some to go over. <clears throat> and so like always, we each pick two that we want to discuss. And so we'll just uh, go through those in us. alphabetical order. Some of us. Sorry. That's right. This is a different year. We had 10 nominees. So we actually had some Twitter polls running. This is really interesting. We had a Twitter poll going for a few movies that we selected. And there were two films, horror films, uh, produced by Val Luton, and they tied. So we're actually discussing five movies instead of our intended four. And we've got a Val Luton double feature that we're going to cover, which is kind and of we'll, cool. And we'll mention the one that Christian picked later on anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Which I would time, like so. to say, there's no way we we're going to have an in-depth conversation about that. <laughs> Yes, I we would it. have. Yes, we would have, because yeah. I brought up the history of how it was made. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Christian would have been just spouting fun facts the entire <laughs> time. <so. laughs> All right. Well, our first film is actually one that Zay picked. So, Zay, would you like to take us away with this one? Yes. Follow me. We're gonna go to the left here, folks. Follow me. Follow me. And we're gonna do Cabin in the Sky, directed by Vincent Minnelli and Busby Berkeley. Now, this film is interesting because it is an all-black cast. Um, a kind of a novelty at the time, um, as you could probably guess. Um, it's about uh, a man named Little Joe Jackson who dies in a drunken fight. He awakes in purgatory where he meets Satan's henchmen devils he meets the devil himself yeah 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 and then he meets a bunch of angels god is not there god cannot be present um and then they send him back and they said you have to prove yourself as a good human or else you're gonna go to hell blah 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 blah. and then he wakes up and he's like i'm gonna be well he wakes up and he's like he doesn't know he's been to purgatory um but both the angels and the devils are kind of like the angels and devils on your shoulder kind of motif. And it's like trying to push him to one way, push him the other way. And he went before he died, he was a very bad uh, gambler. And that's what they use to try to seduce him to the evil ways. Um, it's a very stacked cast with uh, his wife uh, played by Ethel Waters. Um, Eddie is played, um, uh, sorry, Joe is played by Eddie Anderson. Lena Horne plays the kind of the, the Jezebel of the town, who's just like, hmm, she's a sinner, blah, 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 blah. It's a pretty, it's a, oh, and it's a musical. I did not mention it's a musical. Um, but yeah, it's a very lovely movie. Uh, Christian told me to watch it two years ago. I watched it and I loved it. And it was just going to be a matter of fact that one of us was going to pick it for this podcast. And it's lovely. But I will save my other things for y'all to have the floor. Careful, we just mopped. <laughs> yeah, I watched this two years ago on TCM. I think it was on Martin Luther King Jr. weekend because they were having a lot of films about like Black experience on film. Um, surprised I had never seen this before because I love me a musical. And I think this is Vincent Minnelli's, was it his it's first film? It's his first like feature, if anyway. Yeah, his first feature. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So really good there, Busby Berkeley, obviously, but he's uncredited. I'm assuming he just did more of like the dance sequences because that's what he was really known for. Right. No, this is a great film. I always say it's a very underrated, underseen film because not a lot of people have heard of it. Not a lot of people have seen it. TCM doesn't show it too often enough. Um, there's only been like a DVD release. There's no Blu-ray that I know of. If there was, I mean, I would have it in my hands right now. But no, it's a great film. And it's, I mean, it's fun. It's sad. Ethel Waters is so good in this. As is this time around knowing Lena Horne is really good in this too. Yeah. Like, she this can was a, this was a great year for Lena Horne. Yeah, because she has two movies that one will she's discuss three. honorables. Oh, she had three. She was also in, a, um, she was in this, Stormy Weather, and I Dude It. Oh, okay. Well, look at her. But no, I love this film. And like Zay said, it was bound to be one of us to pick this one. But I'll let Zay pick first. I always let people pick first. I'm <laughs> disappointed, but whatever. I'm talking about it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, so this is my first time watching it. I did watch Stormy Weather a few years ago. And those two are so often just tied together because they were two, you know, all black cast musicals coming out in the same year. And like Zay said, time that you just didn't see that. Um, but there are so many just like wonderful aspects of this movie. Um, I kind of like Christian does like I go through and I do like nominations for like every category basically. And for me, this would garner like 16 nominations just because it has great performances. You know, Ethel Waters, Lena Horne, of course. I also like Eddie Anderson, of course. And then Rex Ingram as Lucifer yeah. Jr. is really, really good too. So um, really great cast, but like the production design, the visual effects are really good, um, especially, you know, for 1943, the musical numbers, uh, you can never get tired of Ethel Waters' voice. And so it's, it's great to hear her um, sing out some numbers here. And overall, it's just a lot of fun. I love the way it's, it's a musical that mixes in that fantasy element as well, where you've got, you know, the, the clash between the angels and the demons and, you know, trying to, you know, win the soul of this man and how it all kind of comes together in the end. And so a lot of fun. This is one that it was nominated for, you know, one Oscar and it should have been nominated for many, but of course, I mean, they're racist and they're not going to do that. But I mean, this is one where, you know, if there was a film that should have been up there with Casablanca to be any type of contender for it, this is one of those that should have been up there. I honestly didn't know it was Vincent Minnelli's debut feature film. Like, that's amazing. Uh, this is really impressive, um, you know, for someone who is an acclaimed director, particularly of musicals, to see that this is where he started out. It's, it's just a really, really cool movie. I like how you texted me too once you finished it saying, hey, guess what? I actually like this musical. Like, I love this musical. Like, okay, what do you want, a cookie? I, <laughs> every episode we talk about like, okay, I didn't like The King and I. I thought The Music Man was like good, but not great. And so Christian's always like, I want a musical that you're going to love. And like, we finally found it. So there are well, others out there, but. I'm glad this is the one because I agree with The King and I and The Music Man. <laughs> See? All right. Okay, but you liked Oliver way back when, at least. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked it. it. It was like a four-star movie, so yeah. I also there think Oliver's few. just okay. Wow. <laughs> we need a spinoff here of like the musicals y'all hate and I love. 
I'm just biased. You just, you, 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 just, you just go on and about about which ones you like and we just yell in the middle of it like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> um, but this movie is very nice. Um, I guess it should be noted though that it was made by white filmmakers intended yeah. for a white audience more so than actually, because they still, at the time, they still believed that black people did not go to the movies <laughs> for some reason. Um, and it does have like some tropes in it, like just, you know, heavy religious overtones and like um, definitely having the main character be a gambler was a big um, trope for black men in film at the time. He's a very hysteric gambler too. At the yeah. yeah. But I mean, knowing who he is though, because he's Rochester from um, Jack Benny's radio show. I wonder if he's just like keeping that character. I mean, I'm not too familiar with that is just mostly by name only. And that he's like the side man to Jack Benny, but. But still, still very good for that. You would not believe, because I've seen other films around this time that are not good because of just white filmmakers being like, yeah, do whatever, especially from this year. There's a couple more, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think. Oh. Another person in this, I forgot, Butterfly McQueen is in this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, she is in it. It's always nice to see her. She was definitely a, an underused actress. Yeah. Um, also, Lena, or not Lena, um, Ethel Waters singing Happiness is a Thing Called Joe. Chef's Kiss right there. Right. Agreed. Um, good, good scene. Very good scene. Yeah. And I just love, like, all the scenes in the nightclub are, like, vibrantly great. And the scene where, like, Ethel Waters and Lena Horne finally confront each other and they're just like throwing shots back and forth at each other. The dialogue there is so good and funny and just like those two actresses putting on these two performances in that same scene. It's just great how it all comes together in that finale too. Mm -mm. And then there's a tornado. So <laughs> a tornado reused from the Wizard of Oz. Okay. I, I wondered. I wondered. Box. Hey, if they have it, they have it. Saves a little money, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it definitely was a, a cheaper production. Like, they did really well with it, but you could tell from other studio efforts, it's a little cheap on the cheaper side. Yeah. Perfect. Zay, do you want to run through our fun facts for this one? Sure can. It got one Oscar nomination as we had... Uh, said previously for the song Happiness is a Thing Called Joe. What won that year? Um, uh, what's the song in the shape of water? You'll never know how much I love you. Oh. You'll never know how much I care. That song. I don't know what the movie is, but that one. All right. I prefer this song still, but at least it didn't lose to something obscure. Yeah. Um, a scene depicting Lena Horne in a bathtub was cut, and it appears in the short film called Studio Visit, and that's Entertainment Part 3. Of course, because of racial tensions in the United States, the film was either pulled or not shown at all in many southern states. Uh, the film is generally cr credited with the first appearance of The Moonwalk. When word got to Louis B. Mayer, the all-black cast wasn't allowed to eat in the MGM commissary. He invited them all to privately dine with him. They were allowed in the commissary by the following day. One good thing that terrible, terrible man did. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> um, the script was submitted before production to the NAACP in a letter to the editor or writer of the film said he received a letter congratulating them on the treatment of this black fable, which avoided cliches and racial stereotypes. 
I added that last night. I was looking through the page, and there is an article um, called, and you can look it up. I don't know if you have to pay for it or whatever, but through the New York Times, what Blacks thought of Cabin in the Sky, and it's from 1983. Hmm. There's also, um, I was just briefly glancing, building a new Cabin in the Sky from 2016 from NPR, because I guess they did a one-night-only concert version of this back in 2016. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. That's well, mark that down in events I wish I was there for. Right. Yeah, no kidding. And was this, no, please, MGM, who is now, does Warner Brothers own their stuff? Somebody yeah. owns their stuff. I, but I, think Warner, I think they own a lot of their back catalog, yeah. Well, please, somebody, put this on Blu-ray for God's sake. Yeah. That would be nice. All right. Any other thoughts on Cabin in the Sky? If you watch any other movie from 1943 that isn't Casablanca, it should be Cabin in the Sky. Yep, I can get behind that. Or Lassie Come Home. (laughs) We'll get to that. (laughs) And it begins. All right. So next we have our first film of our, you know, Val Luton double feature. And it is I Walked with a Zombie. And so this is a, it's a horror film, not so much in the sense that it has like a ton of scares, but it's a little more kind of atmospheric, I guess. Um, It follows a nurse who travels to, um, oh gosh, where does she go? It's a Caribbean island to care for some, the uh, wife of a sugar plantation owner who lives there. And so she gets kind of pulled into this dynamic between um, the man and his wife, who is pretty much in a zombie-like state, um, his mother and his brother, who um, we find out actually had a romantic uh, affair with his wife before she went into this this state. Um, along the way, she encounters some like supernatural phenomena based around voodoo and you know, ideas about zombies or the walking dead um, with the native folks who live on the island. And so in some ways, I saw that this film was pretty acclaimed because it does address the past, you know, the race, uh, the slavery past, you know, and um, how slaves were held there and how that has pretty much impacted life on the island, especially for those folks continuing on. But at the same time, the representation of the people of color in the film is not great and they're not really included as actual characters in the story so much as they are just, you know, supernatural beings in a sense, or, you know, people who practice voodoo and that's about it. And so I don't know. I, I appreciated a horror film that was a little more atmospheric in nature. Um, that's one of the things that I've liked about the limited work of Val Luton that I've seen. Um, I do want to address that Val Luton. I keep mentioning him. He's the producer. It was actually directed by, you might help me with this pronunciation, Jacques Turner. I think so. Is that yeah. pronounced? Yeah. He directed some of Val Luton's works, but it's generally agreed upon that Val Luton pretty much had a hand in directing as well and had a lot of say on the style of these films and, you know, the the narrative of these films. He made a lot of so-called B-horror movies. But... I like it in the sense that, you know, it is 
well-made. It does look good. It does have some of that atmospheric shadowy horror, but despite it wanting to confront this idea of slavery, it does that in a way that doesn't represent the people of color in the film well. And so that is what kind of holds it back for me. So thoughts. I liked it. I've never seen it before. Um, I do agree with you that a lot of the like black characters in this aren't given the greatest representation. Um, but for me, I think it was mostly the atmosphere that got to me a lot of it. A lot of the, especially when they're walking in, what is it, the sugar cane field? And they come across the guy whose eyes are just like intensely glaring at them. Yeah. And then they do the whole voodoo ritual thing, which I mean, problems there, of course. But I don't know. It was a creepy film. It just weird. And you'll probably talk about on the fun facts what Val Luton wanted this really to be like. Another particular story, because I don't I'm not familiar with the story, but mm -hmm. weird Val Luton. But no, <laughs> it's good. And I'm just familiar with Val Luton from um what is it? Karina Longworth's You Must Remember This yeah. and her whole series there. But no, I enjoyed it. So I'm glad it was chosen as the winner along with the other one. Yeah. Actually, one action-packed episode because I was back when she was just doing one episode at a time. Yeah, that's people. right. Yeah, it was like her second or third episode. But um, yeah, I mean, to touch, I had seen this movie before, and I agree, super well made, and I love the atmosphere and all that. But once we start like seeing, once a person of color comes on screen, I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Yeah. And they make them look creepy as all get out. I, I think they did a really good job of that. But then just to have the white people as the protagonists and to be mm -hmm. like the voodoo people. And I'm like, oh boy. Um, so, oh, also the island is called St. Sebastian. St. Sebastian. There we go. Yeah. Um, so part of me is like, oh, it's so well made. But it's one of those movies where you're like, oh, it's so well made. But then certain aspects come up and you're just uncomfortable and not in the way you should be uncomfortable with the film. Yeah. And like some of the white, uh, I might as well call them settlers. That's kind of what they are. Um, get their comeuppance. But it's never to the point where it's like they're at fault for being on the island. If it was more, mm -hmm. if it was more like saying, oh, they're not good for coming onto this island they shouldn't be on, I think the movie would hit a little harder. But of course, this is 1943, made by a white studio. We can only get so much. But I think Val Luton did bring something to the film that would not have been there otherwise. Because I saw a few other B pictures from the 1943, and oh boy. <laughs> not good but uh yeah i think valuton really has a touch to elevate b horror to the point that the studio would not have done yeah i mean when i read this like i walked with a zombie i kind of expect to see like a 40s version of like uh night of the living dead where there's like a lot of zombies coming after everybody and that doesn't happen at all here not so, like yeah, so if you're looking for that, you know, that, that's not what you're going to find here. It's it, the horror is more so in the people. And so, 
Yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's just it's a recurring problem in cinema that you know. Yes, you have these films that touch on slavery, but it's so often told from the white person's point of view, and it's like, oh yeah, how dare they? They came here and they had slaves, but they're still there colonizing, and it doesn't confront that. So yeah, great point there. I didn't add this to the sheet, but I'm looking in it, and I guess in 2007 there's a magazine that named this the fifth best zombie movie of all time. Which, again, like you said, this isn't really like the zombies that you're thinking. The actual walking dead, their bodies are decomposing. It's something totally different for the 40s. Yeah. I did do some, like, I don't know, research on, like, the criticism of this film from film critics, like, today. Mm -hmm. And, like, because, like, IndieWire did a, a feature on it, like, years ago. And there were a lot of people who, like, considered it like a classic and you know one of the better well-made zombie films if you want to call it that and so you know it does kind of have that that touch to it i guess among some critics i mean i do think it's very well made i just think looking at it if you don't look at through certain lenses it's hmm, i think yeah. they just need to look at it more a little little more contextually yeah. Again, I think it's a good movie. It's still in my top fifteen for the year. Yeah. Um. That that being said, this is a bad year, but <laughs> I still think it's a good movie, and I think I would watch it again probably. I would too. Yeah. But I also don't think it's necessarily one of the best of all time because it's not exactly as nuanced as it should as a zombie film should be. As zombie films should reflect more of societal things if they're going to use them that way especially because this is not exactly a popcorn movie this isn't people being chased by zombies right yeah i mean it's it's an hour and nine minutes too so i mean like if you if you watch and you don't like it it's not like you wasted two and a half hours of your time you know it's i watched it during a thunderstorm that was fun (laughs) (laughs) spooky um but we have a couple fun facts this one as can probably be expected it wasn't nominated for any oscars um what <laughs> i thought the oscars love horror you, you know what not this year i guess no i would have at least given like a cinematography nod yeah that's what i was kind of thinking you know yeah. that that's probably where it could would contend most yeah, heavily I, d- I doubt they tried to campaign for that at all though yeah um but val luton did not like the story that inspired the film so he wanted the writers to fill the plot line fit the plot line of Jane Eyre into the film. Um, Luton wanted to make a West Indian version of Jane Eyre. I love that. Bronte book. I've never read it, so I don't I've know. I've never but... read it, so I'm not <laughs> me, with me either, but just the idea. <laughs> uh, Let me just get a tiny little plot and see if we can relate it to this movie. So basically, <laughs> it follows a girl and the experiences that she has, including her growth to adulthood and her love for Mr. Rochester, the brooding master of Thornfield Hall. I mean, kind of, yeah. Does she walk Ro- romantic subplot? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But the New York Times called the film a quote a dull, disgusting exaggeration of an unhealthy, abnormal concept of life. <sighs> Gonna guess they didn't like it. But... <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I see movies and that's how I describe them, but that's kind of my thing. <laughs> that sounds like a good John Waters movie to me. Oh. But yeah, that's I Walked with a Zombie. First of our two Val Luton films that we'll cover. 
So any other thoughts on that before we move on to Christian's pick? Oh, geez. <laughs> um, it's decent. I think if you really want to watch it, you should like get into the Val Luton story and then like watch all of the movies are produced together because they have a lot more in common than you think they would. Yeah. And Zay, maybe you've seen this, I don't know, but I don't know what it's called, but I know there is a Val Luton documentary out there because I watched it in class before. And so I, I, I might've seen it, but I don't know. talking about. Yeah, but I'll, I should look up and see if I can find out what that Val is. Val Luton, The Man in the Shadows. There you go. Mm. The only yeah. reason I remember that is because Martin Scorsese is the narrator. Oh, oh interesting. I watched that as a freshman in college, so I don't remember a whole lot of it, but all right. Christian, why don't you take us away with our next movie? Must I? <laughs> okay, so this is, I'm, oh, geez. All right. Look, I've never <laughs> seen this film. I've been wanting to see this film. So that was my one justification for picking this film. It's not my fault. And I'm also going to pull a little bit from the IMDb plot synopsis. From the Boer War through World War II, a soldier whose name is Clive Candy, uh, and it shows the ranks in the British military, military history of the British people, uh, Candy's life and death of Colonel Blimp. The movie's The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp. I guess he's supposed to be Colonel Blimp. I'm not really sure. I don't know how it works either. <laughs> the, basic plot, the basic plot of this is it follows this one guy, Clive Candy, through various different wars, how he goes about uh, fighting through these wars, his thoughts on them, his many different... I wouldn't say... I mean, there's one, I guess, who is a romantic relationship, but his meetings with these various women who sort of influence his life. And we basically see his life in a three-hour film. It's long. It's very complex. I guess it's really in terms of how the British military works, which I guess I didn't get that because I just literally watch this as through the eyes of one man. Um, but yes, it's a really hard film to talk about, especially when you lose interest in it very early on. I would say the first maybe 45 minutes or so, which covers... Um, what is it like World War One? A little bit, the one with the German, the German subplot when they're mm -hmm. dueling. That's maybe my favorite part of it. Deborah Deborah Carr is also in this. I like her a lot in this. Roger Lives Livesy, who is Candy. I've actually never heard of him before this, but he is the main character. He's fine. This film also is made by Pal and Pressburger, who would go on to make um, Black Narcissists and The Red Shoes. So really good films there. But then you have this and it's like, okay. And yes, so basically um, we watched two British films that none of us liked. The other being the one about the boat <laughs> in which we serve. So I actually, I wanna hear, ooh, I wanna save Zay's thoughts for last cause I can just feel them right now. <laughs> so Brett, go ahead. Yeah, you know, I just, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a good movie. I don't, I don't think it's a terrible movie. Like, I don't want to put this on the same level as in which we serve in my viewpoint, because like in which we serve is like probably one of my most hated films ever. And I, I didn't hate this movie. There were, there were some things I thought were good. I thought there were times when the cinematography was really good. Um, you know, especially during like world war one and the war scenes there. 
I also liked the performance of Anton Walbrook, I think is his name. He plays um, the German friend who like Kurt Candy or Colonel Blimp, whatever, duels in the beginning of the film. He has like a really interesting monologue that is actually like, he has probably some of the most subtle acting, I think, in the film, which is encapsulated, especially in the beginning with a lot of overacting, in my opinion. Um, I told Christian, so Deborah Carr basically plays three different roles in this, three women in the life of this man who all like look exactly the same. It's kind of weird. I, I do not like her first performance. I think it's over the top, but I really like her second two performances, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. So, I mean, that's the good. It, the whole movie, like Christian said, is kind of built on this idea of the British military and like, Candy, the main character, has this idea of like the quote unquote right way to fight a war and like this some idea of war etiquette. And it's kind of about how the Nazis aren't following that through their tactics in World War II. And I just found it weird, like that. I mean, I guess putting in the context of the 1943, maybe it's a little different, but the idea that there's any etiquette to war at all. Um, and like rules to, I, I don't know. It's just a very weird concept to me that didn't stick with me anyway. Um, but yeah, I don't understand where the Colonel Blimp comes from. I guess this was based on like a comic strip called G- Colonel Blimp. And, but like the words Colonel Blimp, I don't think are ever uttered in the movie. So I, I don't, I don't get, I don't understand where that comes from, but it's not terrible, but it's not good. It's not one that I want to watch again. It's two hours and 43 minutes long, and I felt every bit of it. So, Have you ever seen the other films from Powell and Pressburger? Uh, I think the only other Powell... I don't think he did this one with Pressburger, but... Um, gosh dang it. What's the one with the guy with the camera? Um, serial killer. Keeping Tom. Keeping Tom. Tom, yes. yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's but the only other Powell one I've seen. But you haven't seen the ones that they've made just together? Mm-mm. No. No. Which are good, I must say. They're like beautiful. Yeah. I mean, the Red Shoes and Black Nurses are ones that I definitely want to see at some point for sure. We'll probably watch them for this, but haven't seen them yet. So, Zay, what do you think? I'm and allowed to you, talk now. And um, you. <laughs> so, um, I was a bit confused. I thought this was going to be an origin story of the Indiana uh, Saint of Sandwiches Blimpies. Um, no sandwiches in this film. Uh, not not near uh, mustard or lunch meat. So uh, I, I feel a little bit um, a little bit betrayed here. Uh, by the way, I said that and you're welcome because I'm the one who told you what Blimpies even was. Yeah, you showed me some like inner like some map of the of the United States. It was like most popular restaurant in each state, and Indiana was Blimpies. And I was like, I've never even heard of fucking Blimpies. And there's only like four in this state, so I don't know how it's our most favorite. <laughs> um. So on to this goddamn movie. Um. So. <laughs> It's a movie that I've seen like on all these lists of whenever I look at like all the like great films I haven't seen yet on Letterboxd because you know Letterboxd is great for showing you those sort of things. Um, 
and I keep saying that and I'm like oh maybe one day you know it's over two and a half hours so if I'm going to I have to commit to it and god I hate long movies because I see so many that are bad they don't need to be that long most movies do not need to be two and a half hours long um and it's just boring it's puffy it's a stuffy puffy British shit I hate those movies I don't like them um beard pieces are 99 percent of the time bad I just don't like them they're glorifying a time that we didn't live in and we as humans have always lived in shit you can't convince me otherwise um yeah I mean the good thing about it is it was made in the 40s so the studio was still like well we can't have this being a dick measuring contest the whole time throw in Deborah Kerr which is great they don't do that anymore once this um six, once 69 hit they're like oh a movie can be all men and it's fine and I hate that so having Deborah Kerr sometimes was a nice little relief other than that this is a movie that uh did not meet any expectations because I did not like it and Black Narcissus and The Red Shoes are two films I love dearly, and you could never tell this movie was made by the same people. There's like nothing related to it. I don't understand. And uh, yeah, that's, that's all I... I'm sorry. I don't like this movie. I mean, no. I would have... I would have been, this was an excuse to finally see it and just sit yeah, there and just like, like I yeah. That's one of the only reasons why I picked it. It's because it's on these letterbox lists of like the greatest films of all time. And because Pal and Pressburger have such that presence, again, with Black Narcissist and the Red Shoes, I haven't seen A Matter of Life and Death, but I hear that is the pretty good one also. But then you go to this and it's like, okay, British, 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 let's get on with this. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, I mean, like, Christian, you kept texting me and you're like, I'm sorry, I picked this movie. <laughs> but I was like saying, like, if I, it's one that I considered too, because I, yeah, Zay, you bring up a good point. I have seen so many knots, this being like one of the great films, one of the best British films of all time. And so yeah, it's in the Criterion collection. Like I texted Christian when I started this. I'm like, wait, this is a Criterion collection? What? <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I, I could totally see why you picked this to watch. It's something I probably would have watched at some point either way too, just because it is really highly acclaimed by a lot of individuals, like I guess, but didn't see it. I didn't Let us not it. forget um, All That Heaven Allows is also... Is that it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, far From Heaven? Far From Heaven, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> heaven, you know, you knew what yeah. I was talking about. Oh, Heaven yeah. Can Wait. No, Heaven, heaven Can Wait. wait. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Not far from Evan is Todd Haynes. What are you guys talking about? <laughs> we can't even remember the name of the movie. That that should be pretty telling. I, um, gosh, what was I going to say? See, I don't even remember this movie enough to say anything about. <laughs> I forgot. Pass. Oh, oh no! I was going to like my most controversial uh, pick for one of these things. I mean, normally I pick like you know happy movies, but because. Y'all's tied with your little Val Luton double feature. I wasn't able to like talk in depth about my little musical movie. I will yeah. admit that one's better. It, it is better. It is better. You know, I will say too, there was a point and once Brett started watching this, it was too late to turn back. I almost switched this to Lassie Come Home. A much better movie. It is. But at the same time, I'm like, you know what? No, we need one that's like not all of us liked. That's true. 
What do you mean? That's all this. I, <laughs> that's what the last episode was. <laughs> I mean, true. <laughs> I, you know what? Don't feel too bad. I ma- I made us watch Mulholland Drive for two thousand one. So <laughs> you know what? We, we yeah. How did y'all even talk too. about that? <laughs> Backwards and forwards and sideways. <laughs> Uh, is that episode out yet? I'll have to, I need to. It comes it, out this coming week. Okay. At the time of this recording, it should be out already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Please, listen. Hopefully. Do it. <laughs> I'm sure it's a wild ride and I cannot wait. It's basically us complaining about people who claim that they totally understand that movie. So. No one understands that movie. Exactly. The people anyway. who love it don't understand it. <laughs> But yeah, sorry, I got off track. Christian, do you want to read the fun facts here? Yeah, the life and death of uh, Colonel Mulholland Drive. <laughs> so that's a movie. The, the one, the only, the Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill hated this film because he thought it was a threat to wartime morale. Oh, he hated it. Yeah, I love it now. This is a good movie. <laughs> I don't know. It's like I didn't want to put all of it, but he had just a lot of issues. Like again, with the wartime morale and how it was perceived, like certain things, like the the German is seen as a sympathetic character, even though we're literally fighting the Nazis right now, you guys. His exact words, y'all, we're fighting Nazis. Um, This is a satire in British Army and its leadership. I don't care. Director Michael Powell was intrigued with second unit cameraman Jack Cardiff filming the animal heads, which is a really cool shot. And would give uh, someone with the animal heads like appear on the wall, just like <laughs> that one, yeah, yeah. And would give Cardiff the cinematography job on Palin Pressburger's next film, uh, which is I think called "I Know Where I'm Going," and it started a lifelong collaboration. So you can thank Jack Cardiff for the beautiful shooting of the red shoes. Uh, one of the earliest films to directly reference *The Wizard of Oz* from 1939, proving that *The Wizard of Oz* was more successful and popular upon its first release than often claimed. Good. And this was the I third most. That. Yeah. I was yeah. like, "Oh!" And this was the third most popular film at the British box office in 1943, after *In Which We Serve* and *Casablanca*. I literally don't want to talk to a single British person that was alive in the 40s. <laughs> honestly. Yeah, honestly. I, Could you I, imagine I, a double feature with this in, in which we serve? Oh, I'd, I'd be running to the war too. I'd be like, oh, this is all entertainment. <laughs> I don't see what's on the battlefield. Gosh, I feel it'd be hard to even go to a theater during wartime in England. Like, Every pirate <laughs> like, is that in the movie or <laughs> like geez gotta go to the tube again i guess y'all because the brits the, I, the brits say y'all now <laughs> <laughs> and we lost oh. the british audience yeah but we've got to be in the get, negative now we gained everyone who was um in a british colonized country so there you welcome. go there you go. All right. Any further thoughts on this movie? No. <laughs> I will never have thoughts about this movie. <laughs> All right, Zay, do you want to take us away with our next one? Sure, I can. This time we're going to go to the right, ladies and gentlemen. Um, after we're done here, the bathrooms will be after this exhibit. Um, so please hold all questions in urine until afterward. <laughs> um, 
I don't know what bit I'm doing here. I, I'm just, we're, we're in a museum. Museum tour guide. Yeah, that's that's it. Um, so for our second Val Luton double feature, the second film in the double feature is The Leopard Man from 1943. Also, he also directed, yes, yes, Jacques Torner. Jacques, yeah. Torner looks right. Really quickly, I just want to say, looking at his Wikipedia page, he in Hollywood, they, what is it, anglicize his name to <clears throat> Jack Turner. <laughs> oh, no. Wow. All right. Um, it's a pretty simple setup. It's a man owns a kind of circusy kind of thing. And he's like, hey, what if I got a leopard for my girlfriend to walk around with? And uh, another girl gets jealous and uh, scares off the leopard and leopard goes off to who knows where the fuck it went. And then uh, the, the owner goes to the leopard, uh, the leopard man, the titular leopard man. He's like, hey, I don't know, leopard's gone. I'll find it though, I promise. And leopard man's like, you better get my fucking leopard. What the fuck? <laughs> um, and it, eventually people keep, uh, people keep showing up murdered and everyone's like, oh, the leopard's killing everyone. But then um, the leopard man's like, wait, what if I'm the murderer? Um, he gets locked up, people still get murdered. And uh, yeah, dun, dun, dun. What is the mystery of the leopard man? <laughs> it's really, it's a really good movie. And again, shows Val Luton's incredible producing skills because again this is a b picture it is 66 minutes long mm -hmm. it's not meant to be a big production and it is i watch a lot of horror films from the 40s and 50s and this is one of the best made ones of in terms of just like being tense and chilling and just being like well what's happening what's going to happen next and it's really neat because this is kind of like a quasi slasher film because um, even in the Wikipedia page, it's like one of the first examples of a serial killer in film. So it's one of the first steps to becoming what we know as the slasher nowadays. Just that, you know, Leopard Man. There's no actual Leopard Men in it though. Like there's no one that <laughs> Brett, I'll let you say your piece first. I just want to say that the plot synopsis there sounded all too much like a sadistic version of bringing up baby. <laughs> They're looking for a leopard. Somebody gets jailed. They're still looking for a leopard. A another great double feature. <laughs> yeah, no, this is like, this is like a horror noir in, you mm -hmm. know, the way it's shot with the, with the shadows and the app once again like we mentioned atmospheric horror that i i really enjoyed it this was like this was my favorite of the two val luton films that we watched um for sure and yeah i really enjoyed just the whole atmosphere of it and that it is frightening at times you know especially when during i should say the first killing where this young woman is walking home alone and sees the leopard's eyes and it's you know stalking her and it's it's really genuinely creepy um between that scene and the scene in the graveyard i you know i watched this at like around 11 o'clock or midnight with all the lights off in the house and it was a nice like a fun horror movie watch 
Um, and so really enjoyed that. I also I like, there's a little bit about this in the fun facts that we'll get to, but the idea of like the characters we spend time with, um, on one hand, I enjoy that we get a little bit of who the characters are before they are killed. At the same time, I, I felt a little bit at a loss because our, like our heroes in the film, we don't really know who they are. I think if anything, I liked the film is short, but if Val Luton would have had more time, I would have liked to see a little more development there um, as someone to kind of root for and kind of solve this thing. But overall, like if you're looking for just a, like a fun little horror film and you have, you know, you only need 66 minutes to watch it. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. Um, it's one that I think, you know, I could watch a number of times and not really get tired of because it's, you know, it's short and it's, it's fun. It has really good atmosphere and it's really well shot, like really good cinematography here. So good black and white film. Mm -hmm. um, I will say, yes, the atmosphere of this is really good. That scene though, with the girl begging her mother to open the door mm -hmm. and then they can't even push the door open. That is freaky. Um, I've seen this before. This, I liked, I walked with the zombie more. I think, and I'm not even sure why, but this one, I don't know. I lost a little bit of interest with it as it went on. Again, it's a short movie, so it had to have been in the first 15 minutes because, you know, but no, yeah, um, good. Like Brett said, noir, uh, noir horror film. It's the atmosphere of these things that I think gets to you a lot. That's what makes them the creepiest things ever. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, also it's a testament to Val Luton. He produced four films this year and they are all to a degree or another pretty decent. And for that, on behalf of Gilded Films through Zay, I shall present the special producer award to Val Luton. <laughs> Congrats. What are the other two that he made besides the ghost ship? What's the uh, other? This, the seventh victim, which is pretty mm. acclaimed. I liked it a lot. It's more of a thrillery kind of, um, but it's really good. And uh, the Ghost Ship, ghost not ship. to be confused with the two thousand one because it's much different. Uh, not as horror-y, definitely a lot more noir-y, but very good. I still like it. Yeah, I think they're all on YouTube. Yeah, and I think this one wasn't though. Oh well, the Ghost Ship is now is in public domain. Okay, because I had to rent these two. Yeah. But yeah, fun movie. Um, and yeah, Zay, you make a great point with the way that Val Luton is doing this differently than studios most likely would have. You know, it's not one that's like incredibly, I don't know what's where I'm looking for, schlocky or anything like that. It's it's really interesting. Um, in atmosphere, like you so. can't you can't see as many strains and like stop because watching the other ones you're just like oh no one here cares about what they're doing they're just here for the paycheck they're ready to go yeah <laughs> while this just feels at least art has been put into this yeah i will say watching these double features i really want to watch more about loot and stuff i do too um, everything i've seen of his is good i think um yeah i mean to a degree or another nice Awesome. Zay, do you want to run over our fun facts for this one real quick? Yes. One of the first American films to attempt an even remotely realistic portrayal of a serial killer, as I mentioned, it is a term that wasn't even used yet. 
1952, RKO really re-released this film as a double with King Kong, cashing in with younger viewers who thought they would see two creature features. Surprise! <laughs> I'm really glad there was no... Listen, we're going to... Um, you Christian put in the the um honorable mentions the ape man which Bella Lugosi actually plays half man half ape bad <laughs> I'm glad there's no leopard man in this Same. um studio heads weren't fans of the film they couldn't grasp the intent or the structure uh, director William Friedkin credits this film for inspiring such films as Psycho and Pulp Fiction and how it follows characters we think are leads, only to ditch them and focus on other characters. Turner, uh, Turner, 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 fucking Steve Martin and the Pink Panther believe that during wartime, moviegoers wanted to be scared by the unreal. Makes sense. Um, and IndieWire places it at number 90 in their 100 greatest horror movies of all time. Nice. Respectable. If you all read the fun facts on this on IMDb, IMDb, most of it is the William Friedkin commentary from the DVD release of this. Hmm. That's really interesting. Like this is one of his favorite films. William Friedkin, of course, being the director of The French Connection and famously The Exorcist. And Good Times, starring Sonny and Cher. Oh. I'm that was his, one people have seen. That was his debut. That was all their debuts. <laughs> that was before the Sunny and Cher show. Wow. They, they were like, can we make this work? And then the movie happened. They're like, no, but let's try a <laughs> skit show instead. Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, check this one out. You know, make it the start of a Val Luton marathon if you want to. So. Honestly, you could do a Val Luton marathon in one day because all of his films are pretty short. That doesn't surprise me. That's cool. Each hour, there's a new one. The Cat People two films are great. Yeah. The Cat People is definitely the one of his I want to see the most. So You got to see both of them. Perfect. Because they're both equally good. Ooh, nice. They're different movies, but both equally good. Awesome. All right. Well, any further thoughts on The Leopard Man before we move on to our final movie of the day? Um, no, but uh, don't take a test with him because I heard he's a cheetah. <laughs> but I'm bum. Thank you for coming to our show. <laughs> cutting off there. No. You, you know who we just lost there? You lost me. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, welcome to Gilded Film Podcast. Um, I'm the new Christian. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yes, we do have one more movie. Um, this is actually my first pick. And it is the Alfred Hitchcock movie, Shadow of a Doubt. And so this is the story of um, a family in um, small town, California. Um, the most central character is the oldest daughter, who's played by Teresa Wright. Her name is Charlie Newton. And her family finds out that her uncle, who is also named Charlie because she was named after him, is coming to visit. And so they haven't seen him in a long time but they completely idolize him and they think the world of him and they think he is just the greatest person on planet earth. But uh, what the audience becomes aware of pretty early and what Charlie starts to figure out is that there is more to her uncle Charlie than she or her family realizes. And so we find out that he actually may be behind some pretty heinous murders 
And so in a, for a little bit, the film might be leaving us in the dark, but it does seem to point on the edge that this is a man who has murdered people and could hurt others um, and is only becoming to stay with the family because he's on the run from the police. And so a lot of the film is exploring the dynamic between both Charlies um, as, you know, um, the niece Charlie is trying to uncover this about her uncle and figure out what she should do to protect her family. Whereas uncle Charlie is just trying to lay low. Um, and it's also a lot about just how uncle Charlie kind of sees the world. Um, you know, this is a, like I said, a small ish California town that is kind of idyllic in a sense. And he's pretty much bringing the sense of terror and um, awfulness to the small town. And he has a really, really, nihilistic and pessimistic view of the world and the people who inhabit it. Um, I think this is like perhaps the most underrated Hitchcock movie. It's not one that I see often mentioned as being one of his best, but it's definitely one of my favorites of his that I've seen. It's a little more low key than something like Vertigo or um, Rear Window or something along those lines but really, really well made. I really love the screenplay. I love the dynamic of having this terrible man kind of insert this small town in this family life and what comes about as a result of that. And I also love the, the lead performance from Teresa Wright and Joseph Cotton playing her Uncle Charlie as well. Two really, really great performances that work really well against each other. So thoughts on this one? I will disagree and say Hitchcock's most underrated movie is The Lady Vanishes. Because mm. I don't think anyone talks right. about that one. Yep, I, I haven't seen it. See? There we go. It's very good. Um, this was like one of his last major uh, films I had not seen. Because um, for whatever reason, I don't know. Maybe I was just saving it for a rainy day. Um, I don't know if it was raining when I saw it. Though. Um. <laughs> I th I really enjoyed it though. It's very much a, a bread and butter Hitchcock picture for me. Um, I think there's like a like of all the ones, there's like a long running line of ones that I just rated four stars, where I'm just like these are damn good, not perfect, but it's Hitchcock, so he knows what he's doing, and I think that's in that that collection of them. So I don't think it's like one of his best, but I'm also just like this is pretty damn good, um, because no one was doing it like Hitchcock then. I, especially not in 1943. Yeah. This is one of the five films I care about. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. That's basically all. I, it's, it's great. I don't have a lot of thoughts about it for some reason. I just liked how the, interact, the characters interact very well in this and it all leads up to a very nice point. Um, and one, one day go on to inspire the episode of the Golden Girls um, where uh, we meet Rose's granddaughter, Charlie, named after her late husband, Charlie. And you cannot convince me otherwise. <laughs> I was trying to look for Golden Girls references through all these movies, and I cannot believe I didn't even catch that. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, thank you. No, it is a, it, it's a great film, I think. Were you going to say something? Yeah, I'm mad that you moved your camera because I can't see the Golden Girls behind you. Oh, oh no. 
for those listening, I always put the Golden Girls on in the background while we record these things. <laughs> I don't know, in case anybody's watching them, and I guess somebody is. I am. <laughs> but uh, no, this, so I took um, in 2016 an Alfred Hitchcock class at uh, University of Kansas, and it was amazing. And this is the first film we watched there. I think then it was my first time. I liked it. I didn't love it. I watched it this past week, and I loved it this time. I love the whole small town vibe to it. Um, although it does feel like a much bigger town, but I'm talking small town in the sense of just the household community. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of bringing this evilness. And I'm going to relate this because everything else is related to it. So World War II. So like Uncle Charlie is the Nazi and the mm. family is an American family. But they don't really know he's a Nazi. But they don't know what he's done with his life. He knows what he's done. And then it just goes from there. Joseph Cotton is incredible in this, as is Teresa Wright. I think I like Cotton a little bit more, only because I know him from Citizen Kane, where he's pretty much a nice guy. And then here, he's just like, he's the silent, sadistic type that you would see <laughs> later with Norman Bates, I think. And yeah, Hitchcock does a great job at this. Again, I love Hitchcock. I think he is one of them. I think he's either, he's probably top two director for me, so... Yeah, yeah. it does have like a Mrs. Miniver vibe of kind of, there's someone in the house and we have to get him out, but we don't know right. in what way. Which I don't think Brett understands what that means. Though. I've never seen Mrs. Miniver, but Teresa Wright won an Oscar for it, so it kind of connects. So. There we go. Yeah, that's also nice too, that she's like, she got a big lead role here, mm-hmm. just coming off her big win for that. Yeah. Hitchcock knew how to pick his women. <laughs> yeah. Didn't know how to treat them especially yeah, well. No, but no. he knew which ones were good. Welcome to our next podcast special. Yeah. I think this film for me, kind of like, I guess it's kind of similar to the Val Luton ones in this way, is that I think like during wartime Hollywood, you might've either had films that served in, as an escape. You might've had films that were like patriotic war effort. And then you have films like this, which are in a way trying to capture the fear of that many were feeling during that time in a kind of unique way. And so I've always kind of appreciated for that as well. And I don't know, Joseph Cotton, like I just, I always like really enjoy seeing him in the movies because like it always kind of like pains me that he was not, I don't think he was ever nominated for an Oscar. And he's had like a lot of great performances that I've really loved. So I don't think he has the credit that he deserves for some of his stuff. Yeah. I mean, you got this, like you got the third man. I know yeah. we've talked about others. He's been in that. He's great as well, but. I'd honestly give him like all the supporting actor awards for Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, um, this did get one Oscar nomination for original story. Um, interesting factoid is that Hitchcock often claimed that this was his favorite film that he made. He said he loved the idea of bringing menace to a small town. Um, in 1959, Teresa Wright said this was also her favorite movie. Um, it actually inspired the 16-month killing spree of Earl Nilsson, the first known serial sex murderer. Inspired? No, inspired by. Oh, inspired. I, I thought the movie like inspired him to go do this shit. Wow. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> 
Oh no. <laughs> Good. But, okay. But, Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah. But I, what's even more scary, because I looked him up and stuff, and his murder spree is happening in the early 1900s. So this movie okay. is 1943. This is like early 1900s, and this guy's going around like. I was going to say, I, it did surprise me that like late 40s was the first time. <laughs> like that, that was, that was, <laughs> so. Okay. That makes more sense. Um, Hitchcock used the idea of, quote, you destroy the thing you love as the theme of the film with the relationship of young Charlie and Uncle Charlie. Several vampire references in the film. Ooh, interesting. And yeah, as they said, later reference in the Golden Girls episode, the truth will out. I don't think that's an actual fact. I, I, I'm just saying it is. I'm going with it. It's a coincidence. <laughs> There's- there's also, and I did not know how to phrase this in these fun facts, um, a rule of two that Hitchcock uses in this. Because mm. you have the two Charlies, there's the the man who is killed, and they think he's the one who's like the murderer, and then you have Charlie. And then there's Charlie coming on the train, and then going back on the train. So there's a lot of rule of twos here. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't really know how to phrase that, so that's why I'm saying it. Yeah. <laughs> And the whole vampire thing, it, amazingly, yes, after y'all watch this, go to the IMDb page of this. There's a lot of vampire references in this film. That's interesting. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it opens with Charlie in a bed like a coffin. Hmm. Okay. Now I kind of want to watch it again just to see if I can notice anything else. But yeah. Any further thoughts on Shadow of a Doubt before we go on to our honorable mentions? When we were picking these movies, I had no idea this was 1943, and I'm very glad you picked it. Yeah. I actually watched it, so I watched it like two, almost two years ago to the date of watching it for this podcast, and yeah, I loved it both times, so. All right, well, we do have some honorable mentions here, quite a few. Um, we have the Air Raid Wardens featuring Laurel and Hardy. Again, it's, time. Like, it's World War II. They're air yep. raid. And if you know anything about Laurel and Hardy, do you think things go right? <laughs> uh, we have the eight man, which Zay referenced earlier. Fellow the ghost deserves better. That's all. All right. We have the Batman, not the one you're thinking of. No, it was a serialized <laughs> version that came out in 1943. It's quite bad. There's no villains you've ever heard of, and it gets pretty racist. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. You're telling me Batman is racist? (laughs) Um, Just lost the Batman crowd. I don't think Batman himself is racist in the series. Um, But there's a lot of uh, Japanese uh, stuff. Oh, okay. It's it's pretty long, too, so don't, don't bother. There's nothing interesting about them. All right. Uh, next one is one that we all watched and enjoyed, Day of Wrath, from Carl uh, Theodore Dreyer. So fucking good. I love me some witch shit. <laughs> Give us the uh, basic plot of it. Basically, um, a woman is burned for being a witch, and um, her daughter um, falls in love with the son of the man who has the woman burned. And um, she's basically like, am I a witch? Do I have witch parts of me? Blah, blah, blah. And it's just basically a whole like metaphor for like Nazism and 
all that World War II stuff going on at the time. So fucking good. Yeah. So atmospheric. So well filmed. I'm so glad I watched it. And it's from Denmark, right? Yeah. 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 Also, I think Anna Sphirkir is her name. Great supporting performance in that movie, too. There's a lot of great performances in it. Yeah. Uh, we also have Desert Victory. That won Best Documentary this year, mm-hmm. and it is basically the British campaign to drive the Nazis out of Northern Africa. Interesting. And it is on Amazon Prime. It is very blurry and grainy. <laughs> it's an hour long, so it doesn't take that long. Yeah. Uh, one that I thought about watching or meant to watch was Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. I kept forgetting it came out this year. It's a, it's a one. Universal it's, it's monster fun. flick. It's it's a fun little when they get together, but uh, God, I hate Lon Chaney Jr. <laughs> uh, the Ghost Ship, which we reference as part of the Val Luton filmography, yes. too. Very good. Uh, Girl Crazy. Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland, and I'm oh, pretty sure there is no blackface in that. No blackface? <laughs> it's one of the better films they did together. Okay. It's still not very good, but it's better than the ones we've covered before on this podcast. All right. Next one. I think, Christian, you told me about this one, Government Girl. Yes. I watched this on our homegirl, Olivia de Havilland's 100 and however old she is birthday. But it is her as a, like a secretary during, it's basically a little bit more dramatic version of, let's see, the more the merrier, minus the whole roommate situation. Okay. Yeah. And she wasn't very happy making it. There's a whole story about her pretty much hating the studio that she was working for. And you can tell she does not enjoy being there. All right. Uh, We also have a guy named Joe. So if any of you have seen the movie Always, the Spielberg movie with uh, Richard Dreyfuss and Audrey Hepburn in her last role, it's basically what this is. A guy dies and he just watches over his friends. Mm -hmm. And he's a pilot because, again, it's World War II. Is the cast as good as having Audrey Hepburn and John Goodman? I mean, you get Spencer Tracy. You get Spencer Tracy. All right. Makes sense. Uh, Lady of Burlesque is our next one. A movie based on a book by Gypsy Rose Lee. Mm -hmm. Um, It's an okay movie. It's got a lot on its plate. Is Um, Barbara Stanwyck in it? Yeah, Barbara Stanwyck said it. She's fine. Um, it's, it's it's like a murder plot in the middle of a comedy musical. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It doesn't match very well. All right. And the moment has come. Our next one, Lassie Comes Home. Yay. <laughs> I was texting Zay last night watching this. <laughs> My final thing was, guess what? Lassie came home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like picture like that's a perfect like comedy and like some guys sitting on the couch, someone just came home, like, hey, what's up? And just like <laughs> Lassie came home. <laughs> it's actually a very good movie. It's very oh. sad. I mean, it's very entertaining. A little little tiny Elizabeth Taylor is in this. She doesn't that's have nothing. Right. Yeah, she has nothing substantial in this because the star of this movie is Pal, a.k.a. Lassie. Mm. And I, I, dog movies these days make me cry very easily, and I cry. Santa Claus is in it, too. 
Santa Claus is Ed, 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 Edmund Gwynn. He's in it. Yeah. Oh. oh, nice. It is good. It's very, it's very um, faithful to the book, which I loved okay. as a kid. Right. And there's like six sequels too, which I'm very interested in watching now. There's some, uh, <laughs> I've seen some of them. They're, they're a bit interesting. Anything to pal. All right. We have one of the great short films ever released. Uh, Maya Darren's Meshes of the Afternoon came out this year. Just see it. That's all I have to say. Just see it. It's an experience. And fuck you to the people in my film studies class who sat behind me. It was like, wow, deep. Well, <laughs> oh, they jerked off to the Godfather. Fuck you to my stomach because when I watch this in a class, it decided to rumble. <laughs> And no, it's totally silent film and a totally silent film. I will say if any of you decide to watch it on YouTube, just mute your computer because for some reason they put a soundtrack on it and it does not need a soundtrack. Yeah. That's right. I forgot about that. Uh, we also have Miracle at Morgan's Creek eligible for 1944, but released this year. I love it. It's kind of like the plot of Mamma Mia um, <laughs> where this girl she fucks three different guys. We don't see the fucking, of course. But then she's like, I don't know who the daddy is. Oh, okay. From 1943. Wow. Preston it's Sturges. good. I too. I actually watched it. Oh, you know when I watched it? The day Brett and I went to go see John Wick Chapter 2. <laughs> <laughs> what a time. Uh, next, we have Nasty Nuisance. I'm pretty sure it's Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> that is how you spell it. And why is it here? Well, sometimes Turner Classic Movies decides to show this weird little one-hour thing, and it is basically a really bad spoof of Hitler, Mussolini, and Hirohito. I think Hal Roach produced it. And yeah, I just wanted to point it out that it is a thing. Yeah, for for uh, clarification, it is spelled N A Z T Y. Yes, <laughs> it is a real it is a real movie. All right, next we have Old Acquaintance. This is a Betty Davis movie where she's like a successful writer, and she meets up with an old friend, and she's like, "Hey, I'm going to try my hand at writing too," and then it turns into a big uh, girl fight. Okay. One of them women's pictures. <laughs> The best part of that movie is when she shakes her. <laughs> yeah. She just like, I'm sorry. And just like, hey. But it's really sad because I love me a Betty Davis movie, but she had this and she had Watch on the Rhine and they both bored me to death in 1943. Old Acquaintance is a much better one though. Not by, like I would, there's plenty of other Betty movies you, I'd rather you see. But yeah. if you had to pick one from 1943, that's the one. All right, next we have The Outlaw, which is most famous probably because of Howard Hughes' fight with the censorship boards over Jane Russell's cleavage in the film. Which is a lot more interesting than the movie. Because <laughs> that movie is bad. All right. Uh, next we have the 1943 version of Phantom of the Opera. I did not care for this one. It's one of my least favorite versions of it. Yeah. The silent version is much better. 25, I think. Uh, the Private Snafu series? 
Okay, so I just, I've seen some of these. These were just like morale boosting short films for the troops, but a lot of them were like, how to not catch a malaria mm. when you're in, you know, the Pacific. And most of them at this time were also written by somebody named Theodore Geisel, AKA the one oh. on Dr. Seuss. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, we also have Sahara. Not um, the Matthew McConaughey version. No. <laughs> So after um, Rick decides to leave uh, Casablanca, he decides to go fight in Northern Africa in the Saharan desert and survive there. That That's is right. basically the plot of the movie. Humphrey Bogart in the desert trying to survive. And it's good. All right. Christian, if you want to go a little more in depth with this one, do feel free. This is the one that uh, did not make it through the Twitter poll. Saludos Amigos from Disney. Okay, so I hate you all because nobody voted for this. I voted for it. I just want to say I voted for this one. But Saludos Amigos is a part one of a two-part series looking at the culture of Central and South America that Disney produced. Donald Duck and his friends are pretty much the centerfold of this. Um, Goofy's also in this one. But the reason why Saludos Amigos and the follow-up, The Three Caballeros, were even produced was because of a, I think it was called the Good Neighbor Policy, where we did not want Central and South America to go to the Nazis, to the Allies, or not the Allies, to the Axis powers. Um, so instead, Disney is like, you know what? I'm going to go down there. I'm going to take some people. And we're going to pretty much make these two anthology movies that showcase your country and make it all pretty so that you like us and you won't do anything stupid. It worked because obviously they didn't go to the Axis powers. And I guess the rest is history. The whole three Caballeros, which came in 1944, but they're also featured in this a little bit, are like the most famous characters of it. Um, what else? There's a documentary called Walt and El Grupo which is on Disney Plus, and it is about what happened when Walt and the team went down there to like start filming all this. There's also some issues when he came back that had to do with the studio striking, but that's a whole other story. But yes, that's my little Disney fun fact of the podcast. All right. Which is weird because this is like a 45 minute show and it's supposed to say like, hey, Brazil and other South American countries, y'all are great. You know what would be great? Goofy doing the dance of the farmer's daughter with a horse <laughs> and not falling for the Nazis' tricks. Hey. <laughs> There's also just like the whole the whole scene with the mail carrier plane was so random. I mean, I get he's like flying over, you know, the mountains there, all the mountain ranges, but I don't know. <laughs> there are some good segments to it. I will say the if animation. you are interested, the three caballeros, I think I like that one a little bit more. Yeah. Interesting. We've already done 1944, so I can't talk about it. <laughs> Check out that episode. I think you touched on it briefly there, too. All right. Uh, next, we have Son of Dracula. Um, another universal monster movie, I assume. I'm pretty sure this one takes place in the bayous of Louisiana, and I didn't <laughs> like it. I don't think it's good. Watch Daughter of Dracula instead. All right. I won't say we have Stage Door Canteen, similar to Hollywood Canteen, I imagine. So, can I give a little thing on this? Go for it. Okay, again, with the war, 
stayed to her canteen when troops were coming over from Europe to take their leave. They went to the stage door canteen, which is like a New York hot nightclub, and they chilled with actual celebrities. This movie is dull as fuck. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Catherine Hepburn makes herself a nice cameo in the end of it, but that's about it. That's the quality of it. Stick with with stage door canteen, because that takes place in Los Angeles. And let me tell you something. New York people are very calm. Los Angeles can get to partying in 1943-44. All right. Uh, Next we have Stormy Weather, which we referenced in our Cabin in the Sky discussion. Um, I just want to say that the finale has one of the great finales ever from the Nicholas Brothers. Like, amazing stuff. My legs hurt watching them. (laughs) Yeah, same, same. I'm like, how did they not hurt themselves doing this? It's full of amazing, just amazing black talent of the 40s. It's basically just a, we're putting on a show movie. Yeah. But it's one of the better ones because I don't really like that genre too much because it's kind of same every time. But you get to see a lot of individuals you don't necessarily see in other films. So it's a lot better. Yeah, definitely. Uh, next we have They Got Me Covered. It's a Bob Hope movie. He's trying to outwit the Nazis. What more is there to say? <laughs> all right next is victory through air power a title act- i would expect from this time this is actually a good disney hybrid live action animated thing oh. it's basically talking about the planes that are being used at the time it's good it's really hard to find though i'm surprised it's not disney, disney plus i know interesting hopefully someday it's so interesting how they're just like hmm only some things we own <laughs> All right. Next, we have a uh, very famous The Why We Fight series, um, which Hollywood kind of got behind wartime propaganda efforts shown in movie theaters, you know, before features and whatnot. Um, we also have The Yankee Doodle Mouse. The first Tom and Jerry to win. Oh, yeah. Short. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's cute. It's just them fighting each other. <laughs> <laughs> that's <Typical. cool. laughs> there's fire I, that's the one that ends with fireworks isn't it I think. Oh, yeah yeah all right and we have a bunch of disney world war ii propaganda shorts listed here okay so let me do, let me just start with this there was a whole in the early 2000s collection of disney rare shorts and stuff that you can still somewhat find through your libraries um, but they're like hundreds of dollars now on Amazon. I happen to watch the one on World War II. There's 30 some things on there and some of them are good. Highlights. There's one called Chicken Little, which is one of those like, what is it? Loose lip sink ship situation. Mm-hmm. Um, Der Fuhrer's Face, which I know Zay watched also. Yeah, um, that was eligible for 1944 though. And I think it won in 1944. Something called Education for Death, Fall Out, Fall In. This one I dedicate to Zay. The grain that built a hemisphere, an appreciation of corn. (laughs) (laughs) That one's the best one, too. I I gave it Um, Home Defense, Private Pluto, Reason and Emotion, which was nominated for Best Animated Short. The Spirit of 43. And my favorite one, The Wing Scourge, where the seven dwarves themselves fight off malaria. 
<laughs> That's amazing. How long have to find uh, that one? So definitely, I mean, they're they're really interesting to watch. If you ever find it at your library, do it. There's also one where there's like a parade trying to sell war bonds because you know it's war bonds. All right. Yeah. Disney had an interesting time around this period. Let's they, just say that they did. Wow. All right. Well, there's just some. There are some honorable mentions to check out. Um, some of them are probably a lot better than the Best Picture nominees, so seek some of those out. And I believe we are ready to move on to what is a favorite section for a lot of us, and that is our personal nominees and winners from this year. And so, likewise, we're going to start the screenplay categories. These early years, it's so hard to distinguish between adapted and original. And honestly, I don't even know if mine are correct. And I don't really care, but <laughs> I don't even have, I think I have three original screenplay knobs. So yeah, we'll see. Um, but let's go ahead and start there with original screenplay. Zay, if you want to take us away with that one. Yeah, I, I only had four. Um, so number four, The Ghost Ship. Uh, not a strong contender, but I still enjoy it. So that's why it's there and why I don't have a fifth one. Um, three, The Seventh Victim, the other Val Luton picture I mentioned. Um, two, Shadow of a Doubt. And my winner, that I think is technically cheating, but I don't care because we got to have more nominees anyway, I, I, I made the winner Meshes of the Afternoon. Oh. oh. Nice. I thought you were going to say The Miracle of Morgan's Creek. No. Okay. I made sure I was like, okay, we're playing by their rules. <laughs> we'll keep that at the different Oscars. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll go next. Uh, like I said, I have three here. My number three is I Walked with a Zombie. Uh, my number two. That's not. That's adapted. That's adapted. All right. Well, <laughs> it's adapted from Jane Eyre, right? From Which that, I'm and there's a story. Oh, yeah. uh, okay. I thought it was just adapted from Jane Eyre, and I'm like, whatever. So, whatever. Number so two. You have two. <laughs> I, I only have two. Uh, <laughs> number two is The More the Merrier, and number one is Shadow of a Doubt. Hate to what? break this to you, but The More the Merrier is adapted also. That's what? Awesome. God. So, I have one. You need to check Wikipedia for you. I two. thought I did. You need to check with me. I, I guess so. <laughs> All right. Well, I've won. Shadow of a doubt. I don't, I don't even care. Shadow of a doubt deserves it. So Shadow of a doubt by default. All right. Okay. So I have five. Ooh. Because I went out of my way to watch original stuff here. Okay. So number five is Saludos Amigos. It's not saying much here. Number four is the Bob Hope one. They got me covered. Again, not saying much. Number three is Sahara, the Humphrey Bogart post-Casablanca. Number two, Stormy Weather. I figured it was original. And number one, Shadow of a Doubt. See, I didn't nominate Stormy Weather because I was like, this is not much of a screenplay. I thought it was adapted, so. <laughs> <laughs> from what? I don't know. What could it have been adapted from? I it says from an original story. Oh, original story. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. There you go. I look for story and that always makes me think it was adapted from something. So, I'm actually surprised that Shadow of a Doubt is original because mostly Hitchcock got from like stories and stuff. Yeah. You know what? That means I have two nominees Stormy Weather number two. 
Look at that. <laughs> okay, stormy wetter, and then shadow of a doubt wins for you. I'll 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 make it my fifth. There we go. I will say, you know, we we talk a lot about Hollywood not being original today, but at least I could pack five original nominees today. So. All right, moving on to Best Adapted Screenplay. Zay, take us away. Best Adapted Screenplay. Number five, I gave it to Son of Bernadette. Number four goes to Lassie Come Home. Number three, uh, The Oxbow Incident. Two, Day of Wrath. And one, of course, in which we serve. <laughs> okay. Where's the punchline? <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. I misread. I'm sorry. Casablanca. <laughs> I'm going to be so freaking pissed if one of these is original. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't think so. No, I think they're I all. Don't you love, though, that like in these early ones that we do, we always have to be like, I'm not sure if this is adapted or original. And then we're just sitting and waiting until somebody says something. Actually, I, in which we serve was original. You <laughs> know, Brett, you've got room. I, I, no, I should have just done a best <laughs> screenplay category. Whatever. All right. Uh, number five, I have Madame Curie. Number four, I have Day of Wrath. Number three, Cabin in the Sky. Number two, the Oxbow Incident, and number one, Casablanca. Oh, those were adapted. You did good. Thank God. Number five, <laughs> number five, I have The More the Merrier. Number four, I have The Song of Bernadette. Number three, The Oxbow Incident. Number two, Cabin in the Sky. And number one, Casablanca. All oh, right. Classes drag. Well, <laughs> there's not much dialogue, and most of it is her running. Hey, someone had to write that down. <laughs> Could you imagine that screenplay is like five pages long? <laughs> Just for 20 minutes, Lassie runs. Okay, I realized why I put The More the Merrier in original first. It's because it was nominated for Best Original Story, and I must have mixed it up with the original screenplay. The, so, the original story category on Wikipedia. It's a weird category. It directs you to adapted. I don't, get I don't get that category, and I'm glad it's dead. I am too. All right. Well, now there, there shouldn't be as much confusion about the next categories. So let's take it away, Zay, with Best Supporting Actor. Best Supporting Actor. Dun, 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 dun. Number five, we have an actor named Mantan Moreland, who was in this horror film called Revenge of the, Vamp Revenge of the Zombies, which is not a good movie. It's pretty <laughs> racist. However, he's damn funny in it. So I wanted to give it to him. What is it called? Uh, Revenge of the Zombies. That is the B feature zombie film if you want it. All right. Um, number four, I'm going to give to Dooley Wilson for both Casablanca and Stormy Weather. Uh, number three, we're going to give to Rex Ingram for Cabin in the Sky. Two, to Claude Rains in Casablanca. And the number one, I'm breaking the goddamn rules again. For the first time ever, two people were nominated for the same award. It's not a tie. They had to campaign together. The Nicholas Brothers for Stormy Weather. Oh. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me they don't deserve it together. Yeah. I think that would be our that that would be our second joint um, 
nomination and or win because I did both Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon for Thelma and Louise. Mm. That's true. Yeah. That's true. All right. Well, my number five is Paul Henry for Casablanca. My number four is Dooley Wilson. I put him for Stormy Weather, but I could put Casablanca as well. Number three, I have Rex Ingram for Cabin in the Sky. Number two, Charles Coburn for The More the Merrier. And my number one is Claude Rains for Casablanca. All right. I got number five, Conrad Viet in Casablanca. Number four, Rex Ingram for Cabin in the Sky. Number three, Charles Coburn for The More the Merrier. Number two, Paul Henry for Casablanca. And number one, Claude Rains, Casablanca. I would just like to say Charles Coburn was my number six, but I had to make some sacrifices. That was a tough one. All right, moving on to Best Supporting Actress. Zay, take us away. For Best Supporting Actress. Surprisingly, not as big, not as a tough decision this year for some reason. Nope. Um, number five, I'm, I have Gladys Cooper for Sonna Bernadette. Uh, number four, Jane Darwell for Oxbow Incident. Uh, number three, Marjorie Mang for Heaven Can Wait. Uh, number two, Anna Svirker for Day of Wrath. Definitely can't speak Dutch. Um, and the winner, who had an amazing year, so we're just going to give it to her, Lena Horn for Cabin in the Sky, Stormy Weather, and I do it. Ooh. Wow. All right. All right. My number five is Jane Darwell for The Oxbow Incident. My number four is Anne Revere for The Song of Bernadette. Uh, my number three is Lena Horne for Cabin in the Sky. My number two is Katina Paxnu for the For Whom the Bell Tolls. She is good, but I couldn't give her the yeah. win because she's a brown face. My winner is Anna Svierkir for Day of Wrath. Ooh. All right. She makes an impact. And way to not mess up the name like I did. <laughs> Someone goes to Ikea. Um, okay, so you might laugh at me for the, my number five pick, but I don't care. I don't care. Celia Johnson for In Which We Serve. You know, I just can't remember that scene because it was they were toasting the ship. That's that's Look, like, you know. She gets so emotional in that one scene of them toasting the ship. I felt that. Okay. All right, so that's five. Number four, Deborah Carr for The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp. Number two, Katina Paxnew for The Whom the Bell Tolls. Number two, Anna Svierkir for Day of Wrath. And number one, The Boat for In Which We Serve. <laughs> it's, it's lead. It's lead. I refuse to say <laughs> No, my real winner is Alina Horn for Cabin in the Sky. Very nice. Thank you. All right. Next up, we have Best Leading Actor. Zay, take us away. All right. So once again, going to take these acting noms and run with them. Because number five, I have Pal for Lassie Come Home. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> uh, number Lassie, isn't Lassie a girl dog? No, Pal's a boy. I know, Pal's a boy, but isn't Lassie a girl? Yeah, that's why her name's Lassie. I don't <laughs> Hey, let, let John Travolta do it. Let let Powell do it. <laughs> All right. Number four, Walter Pigeon for Madame Curie. Number three, Vincent Price for Son of Bernadette. Number Isn't he supporting. Mm, 
He's in it a lot. I don't know. I don't know. I could see lead just because I, I feel like Jennifer Jones is supporting at times of that time in that movie too. Uh, no. <laughs> Christian. <laughs> I wish the podcast could sometimes see the faces Christian makes whenever we say <laughs> I something. know, same. <laughs> because sometimes i pause and i'm like oh i sound stupid because they can't see christian just making a face at me <laughs> um okay number two eddie anderson for cabin in the sky and of course number one humphrey bogart for casablanca because i would be bullied the fuck out of this podcast i think yes <laughs> all right so my number five is joel mccrea for the more the merrier Number four is Eddie Anderson for Cabin in the Sky. Number three, I have Joseph Cotton for Shadow of a Doubt. I really struggled with whether leader supporting, but I went lead. Number two, I have Walter Pigeon for Madame Curie. And number one, I have Humphrey Bogart for Casablanca. Who was your number five? Joel McCrea. Okay. Okay. See, I didn't like him. So for number five, I got I, Henry Fonda. I only had four really good ones. So the five was like a throw in. But So no, my number five is Henry Fonda for the Oxbow Incident. And my other ones are literally all Brett's, but different order here. So number five, Henry Fonda. Number four, Eddie Anderson for Cabin in the Sky. Number three, Walter Pigeon for Madame Curie. Number two, I got Joseph Cotton for Shadow of a Doubt. And of course, the big winner, Mr. Humphrey Bogart for Casablanca. Because that is the win he should have won for in his career sorry to the african queen should have been humphrey bogart for casablanca yeah he should have won like three oscars in my book but whatever okay best leading actress zay start us off all right at number five we have gene arthur for the more the merrier number four we have elizabeth moven moven for day of wrath um, number three, um, um, I want everyone to know I list them all, but I don't rank them until I say them out loud. <laughs> um, number three, I'm going to have to go with Ethel Waters for Cabin in the Sky. Number two, Greer Garson for Madame Curie. And number one, Ingrid Bergman for Casablanca. Oh, I'm sorry. I was, there's a smudge. There's a smudge. <laughs> for whom the bell tolls? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Honestly, I was just like praying that you would have Ingrid Bergman up there. I don't know why you wouldn't, but. <laughs> All right. First off, I thought this category was pretty loaded. So it was kind of hard oh, yeah. for me to rank. So I had like eight or nine. Yeah. Narrow down. Um, yeah, number five, I have Greer Garson from Madame Curie. Number four, I have Gene Arthur for The More the Merrier. Number three, I have Ethel Waters for Cabin in the Sky. Number two, I have Teresa Wright for Shadow of a Doubt. And number one, I also have Ingrid Bergman for Casablanca. All right, number five, I got Greer for Madame Curie. Jennifer Jones comes in at number four for The Song of Bernadette. You didn't Teresa even like her. <laughs> I know that, but I sort of ran out of things. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> fine, fine. No, I'm changing it. It's changed now. So number five is Greer Garson. Number four is who I really wanted on this list, but I didn't even think about it. Girl from The More the Merrier. Gene Arthur. There. Number three, Teresa Wright for Shadow of a Doubt. Number two, Ethel Waters for Cabin in the Sky. 
And number one, the boat from in which we serve. There. You know, at least it's not category fraud this time. <laughs> in this case, it's with Ingrid Bergman, and she was in Casablanca. Oh, I thought she played the boat. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, I th- we had the same five there. Uh, just a little bit different order. All right. Moving on to our next to last category, best director. Zay? For number five, we have Alfred Hitchcock in A Shadow of a Doubt. Uh, number four, Vincent Minnelli and Busby Berkeley for Cabin in the Sky. Uh, number three, Carl Theodore Dreyer for Day of Wrath. Number two, Michael, uh, Michael Curtiz for Casablanca. <gasps> and my winners are Maya Duran and Alexander Hamill nope. for Meshes of the Afternoon. Okay. Fight me. Burn me at the stake. See what happens. I'm not gonna, I forgot that there was a second director on that. Interesting. All right. Christian's giving me like the Italian death curse over there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My number five is Carl Theodore Dreyer for Day of Wrath. Number four is William A. Wellman for the Oxbow Incident. Uh, number three is Alfred Hitchcock, Shadow of a Doubt. Number two, Vincent Minnelli and Busby Berkeley for Cabin in the Sky. And number one, Michael Curtiz for Casablanca. All right. My number five is William Wellman for the Oxbow Incident. Number four, Hitchcock for Shadow of a Doubt. Number three, Carl Theodore Dreyer for Dave Wrath. Two, Vincent Minnelli and Busby Berkeley for Cabin in the Sky. And my winner, Michael Curtiz for Gatha. Blanca. I would have also done William Wellman had I not fucked everything up. Had <laughs> <laughs> you gone yeah. your length? <laughs> no surprise that that category is pretty clear in this year. All right, so we're moving on to our top ten of the year. If if you have ten for this year that you I do, like, no. I do. just just throwing that. I do. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> Don't be throwing off some. Yeah. So. All right, they take us away. Best picture. I mean, my number 10 is probably my least favorite number 10 I've done on this episode. But um, Madame Curie, you know, decent enough, but definitely not top 10 material in any other year. Um, number nine, The Leopard Man. Number eight, The Seventh Victim. Uh, number seven, Stormy Weather. Number six, The Oxbow Incident. Number five, Son of Bernadette. Number four, Shadow of a Doubt. Number three, Cabin in the Sky. Two, Day of Wrath. And number one, Casablanca. I was waiting for In Which We Serve. Okay. So wait a minute. So wait a minute. minute. (laughs) All of these meshes of the afternoon wins, and it's not there. I thought we agreed we can't do that for best picture. Oh, okay, fine. Because we could, because we established when we did the fucking red balloon that shorts can be do can get the screenplay. Um, director, I just decided, hey, why not? why not? But picture, I was like, you know what? That seems a little more set in stone, a little more holy. Let's not. So uh, that's okay. Right. All right. We're making up the rules anyway. Yeah, I honestly don't. I nominated care a way, dog so. and two people for the same. <laughs> um, I nominated Miss Piggy. <laughs> They also get you also gave a dog a win at one point for a oh, D, right. so 
Okay. Uh, my 10, I think I actually had 11 movies that I liked to some degree from this year. So it's pretty close. What, what was uh, the 11th though? I wonder what the 11th was. Song of Bernadette. Okay, that don't count. Okay. Um, unless you include Messages of the Afternoon as well. So I guess 12. But number 10, I have I Walked with a Zombie. Number nine, I have Madame Curie. Number eight, Stormy Weather. Number seven, The Leopard Man. Number six, The More the Merrier. Number five, Day of Wrath. Number four, The Oxbow Incident. Number three, Cabin in the Sky. Number two, Shadow of a Doubt. And number one, Casablanca. Very nice. All right. So this list for me was pretty easy, except for the 10th movie. Like, I didn't know what I wanted this 10th movie to be. So my number 10 is I Walked with a Zombie. Barely edging out, saludos, amigos. Mm. I know, right? right number nine, Day of Wrath. Number eight, Madame Curie. Number seven, The More the Merrier. Number six, Stormy Weather. Number five, Lassie. Come home. <laughs> number four, The Oxbow Incident. Number three, Shadow of a Doubt. Number two, Cabin in the Sky. And number one, the best, best picture there is, Casablanca. They got it right. Wow. About See, time. For 1944, as like the kind of B picture for um, Best Days of Our Lives, it should have been called Lassie Came Home. And it's like, how about she has like a, an alcohol issue now <laughs> after all the trauma she's been through? The Golden Girls episode where she's like, oh, Lassie was an alcoholic. That must be why she was always wobbling around with Timmy. <laughs> there's always something for it oh my god i i just say i i this is probably the most similar our top tens have been for an episode which is pretty telling about what this year had to offer so yeah but yeah we all agree casablanca the best film of 1943 some of the best performances um and yeah so that's what we got so as always, it, it yeah, sets, go ahead. It sets um, from our last time that we did this with 2001, where I said the Lord of the Rings set a record and it actually did not. It tied a record. Mm. But Casablanca at 11 personal Christian wins here does indeed set a record. Same with mine. Same number of wins too. Amazing. Topped out Wizard of Oz, which is sitting firmly at number two. All right. Well, thanks as always for listening. Um, as always, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Letterboxd, all the social media. Feel free to rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. You can find us about any podcast um, streaming service of your choice. That always helps. Um, our theme music was composed by Joshua Arnoldi. And be sure to tune in next time. We're going to cover another um, Oscar race of more than five films in Best Picture where we talk about the year 2013. And so that's, that's an amazing year for movies. So be sure to An amazing year for June Squibb. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. But yeah, uh, Zay, any final thoughts from you? Um, 1943, bad year. Um, honestly, there's... <laughs> Every year we've covered, there's movies outside of our top tens that we should that you should see. Don't think that's necessarily true for this one. Oh gosh, that's true. 
Oh. All right. We suffered through this for you, the <laughs> listener. There is some good stuff at the top, though. So check that yeah. out if you haven't already. Christian, any final thoughts from you? Uh, Lassie came home. <laughs> <laughs> she came home. <laughs> We're going to leave you with that wonderful thought and be sure to tune in next time. So that maybe you too can come home. Thank you.